I wanted to continue a discussion that I brought up last week regarding Yoshi and whether there is an actual Yoshi named Yoshi. And I wanted to follow up that discussion with if there is an actual Yoshi named Yoshi, which you guys certainly argued for heavily. Griffin, I know you weren't here, but there was this is fun. This is fun for an argument. If that's the case, when was the first time we met that Yoshi? Oh, I see. Well, okay, if we want to go in order, right, mm. that the Mario's is a baby in Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's story, correct? Yes. Yoshi's Island, sorry. I apologize. Right. I did a goof there. So I think it's got to be the first Yoshi that, like, finds you and says, I could eat this baby. I could do it. Mm. I'm, a dino- I'm a dinosaur, after all. Um, but doesn't. To me, that's the, tr- the one true Yoshi. But that's like an assumption that his name is Yoshi. It's never actually confirmed. We know his full name. I mean, we've danced around saying it enough, right? I, yeah, it's a power. It's a powerful. It's a powerful. His name, name is T. Yoshisor Munchakupas. <laughs> right. I mean, his name is T. Yoshisor Munchakupas, <laughs> and you you say it because it matters. That's but that's the green one. That's from the Super Mario World instruction booklet. If I'm if if my Yoshi lore is correct, which right. means Green Yoshi from Super Mario World is T Yoshi or Munchkoopas. But Green Yoshi dies in like level one. It, um, it's also worth noting that uh, apparently that is his the name of his. It's the scientific name for his species. <gasps> Is not his. It is not his like business card. It is like his Homo sapien. All right. It could also be a hive mind situation where they are all Yoshi. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. One Yoshi I just witness. Think you just need to really explore. Like I don't think people have just thought about this enough. Is really the the larger issue. Yeah. And I guess now that we've settled that, if you take Bowser's shell off, does he die? <laughs> That's something I've been thinking about a lot. What a nude! What a nude! We've Bowser never looks seen like. him nude. He would die, I think. Yeah, I think he'd die. All right, well, that Siri, was a, that generate was a, quick a one. nude Bowser. <laughs> Don't you can't say something like that out loud because it will make people's phones do it. My name is Justin McRoy, and I don't know the best game of the week. My <laughs> name is Griffin McRoy, and I know that's apparently funny to Justin. I played a I'm game. Taking though. Russ's energy, okay. I'm siphoning it off of him for his birthday. Okay, I'm taking the burden so he can be a little bit more down tempo. That's my right. game. To him. <laughs> Are you done, Griffin? Oh yeah, I'm done. Okay, my name is Russ Rustic, and I know the best game of the week. Welcome to the Besties, where we discuss the latest and greatest at home interactive entertainment it is a video game club but just by listening my friend you are a member we're going to talk about a video game this week no question about it definitely but we're also going to have other conversations as we are wont to do uh still circling around gaming of course plant keeps trying to make us talk about film it's not gonna happen he's traveling so we can talk about whatever we want yeah now we can really talk about game now it's just we the game (laughs) (laughs) So welcome. Uh, we have this is also very exciting. We have this is throwing a special guest. That's right. It's Steve Spawn of Able Gamers. Hello, Steve. Welcome to the the call. Welcome to me. Yay! It's now my podcast. I've decided I'm taking it over. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. we're gonna talk. Of, we're gonna talk about film. So uh, let's let's break into the old the old classic. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 one where there's a giant guy and he's a Henry, and then there's a guy in the woods. It's a Bigfoot. It's gonna be a great one. Uh, this is all about the Henderson family. It's great. We're gonna. This is gonna be the entire podcast. This is in the Criterion Collection, right? Recently added. Yeah, sure. Welcome, Steve. Can you talk a little bit about yourself? Just give me the give me the elevator pitch on you as a human being. <laughs> if you're going to be taking our show over, yeah. we got to make sure you got the, no, yeah. the special sauce. I appreciate you hiring me before you read my bio. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I am, by day, the Chief Development Officer at Able Gamers, the charity helping people with disabilities play video games on the internets, and I am also... Sort of a part-time influencer. I try to influence people to eat pizza as often as possible. Uh, really, I feel like that's how you should use your, your following. Like, if you have over 50,000 Twitter followers, you must influence pizza. I think that's just the rule. Have you, have yeah, you sure. tackled pineapple yet? Uh, in terms of like I have. That's why I don't have a million followers, because I lost like 900,000 when I was like, it's okay if you want pineapple on your pizza. <laughs> no. You didn't even endorse it. You just said... Go you chase your best. I was like, hey, it's interesting. And you enjoy your happiness, whatever topping that means to you. Uh, well, thank you, Steve, for, for joining us. I uh, yeah. really appreciate it. Obviously, people might know we we talked a little bit about accessibility last week, and it occurred to me as as I was speaking that I was speaking predominantly out of my ass. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I, first, for the besties, we got into a conversation we had, uh, we had limited expertise in. Um, and so I thought the best thing to do was to talk to someone who actually knows a thing or two about the topic we were discussing, uh, which Steve certainly does, uh, in quite large amounts. And, uh, so we are thrilled to have him and we're going to be talking about, uh, accessibility today in gaming and, uh, what we can, uh, do to make it better. Basically. Russ will be talking. I'll be listening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then we'll talk about Far Cry 6, son. Yeah. Yeah. It's, some. It, it's, uh, it's a video game. This episode of The Best Thieves is sponsored by Aura Frames. All right, so you know there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Steve, just as like a jumping off point, can we just like very simply, maybe it's not a simple <laughs> request, but very simply define what accessibility means 
to you or the community at large? I don't even know if they're the same thing, but how do you sort of define it? Specifically through the lens of gaming. And the, the short answer is that accessibility is individually defined, and that's what makes accessibility a complicated animal to tackle for some. Is The truth of the matter is, when you talk about accessibility, people think about ramps, and they think about elevators, and subtitles in movies and video games and those are all accessibility but to someone who has perfect hearing you may not need subtitles so it's not accessible to you to you it's just a nice feature if you happen to be washing dishes while you're trying to watch your latest episode of whatever on hbo max sponsored now by steve spawn um <laughs> it's uh, noted pizza influence <laughs> steve spawn. um but, you know, the, the great thing about accessibility is that good accessibility is just good design. Um, the basic way that I always like to introduce people to the idea of accessibility is the curb cut effect. And for those of you who don't know what curb cut effect is, it's generally what it sounds like. It's those cuts in the curb that you see when you're walking around the city that are slanted on the corners. Uh, and you see wheelchairs and whatnot rolling up and down them so that we don't have to jump up six inches of concrete. Well, what they discovered was they put those in because of the ADA, because a giant legal document in America made cities do this. They didn't do it of their own volition. Well, though they discovered was after these had been in for a while, it was not predominantly wheelchairs that were using these. Yes, the wheelchairs were coming up and down the, the curb cuts, but it was also your local street vendor, your delivery person who wanted to not jump up over the concrete, your mom or your dad with a baby stroller. It was a curb cut effect was an accessibility feature, something that was meant to be used for people with disabilities. But once it was implemented into everyday society, everyone was like, oh, crap, that is a really cool thing. Now I don't have to jump up on this curb and bust my ass on the sidewalk. So now it's something that we all just expect to be there. And that's the same thing that any good accessibility feature is. It's something that's there that gives benefit to everyone, and everybody has a good benefit for having it in their lives. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ju Justin, I mean, you just mentioned it as well, but Justin mentioned last week talking about subtitles and the fact that he watches everything with subtitles because he has small kids. Um, mm -hmm. And and some hearing loss. I mean, and like, that's true. Yeah, it isn't. But that is yeah. like a perfect example of something that like so many people use regardless of their hearing ability because it's just, um, you know, easier mm -hmm. and more convenient, yeah. which I think makes perfect you know, sense. Microsoft calls it the baby in the room example. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's literally what they call it. The, the idea is that uh, take the context of someone who is hard of hearing or deaf out of the equation and just is this a, is someone who has a baby would they be able to watch your show or participate in your visual product without waking the baby? If you can, then it's probably at least on the road to accessible. If you can't, then therefore you have failed. Hmm. I've, I've, from the outside sort of looking in, uh, and I definitely play games like if, if an accessibility feature seems like a, a way of kind of filtering out annoying design in, in the first place, I will also opt for it, like despite the fact that I don't necessarily, uh, you know, need it. Uh, I feel like this is a, 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 again, from the outside looking in, a thing that is becoming more prevalent because of this, this you know, conversation taking place around accessibility features in games. 
how do you how do you sort of um, how do you sort of track that that trend towards the more widespread adoption of accessibility features in in video games over the last you know decade or whatever? Well, if you're someone like me who's been doing this for almost 16 years, you can feel it. It's almost a vibe. It is, you know, going to a convention 16 years ago and having literally no one care about accessibility. And today, having a job where there's not a week that goes by that I'm not talking to another big name publisher asking about, you know, how do we make our game more accessible? And and one of us at Able Gamers telling them how they can do that. And you you can feel it almost in the in the air. Um but my best concrete example is uh a long time ago we went to the game developer conference and this was back in Oh boy, probably 2012, like uh, an eon ago. And uh, we did a YouTube video where we asked one simple question, and it's still up on YouTube now, in which we said, have you ever thought about designing for gamers with disabilities? And a whole bunch of people said no. A couple of people said yes. And one jagoff laughed at us and walked away. And Wow. Yeah, and, uh, you know... And that's the best part of those kind of experiments is you go and you ask developers, you know, what are they thinking? Where Where is their brain at when it comes to the audience in front of them? And back then, you know, people just weren't thinking about people with disabilities. Now they are. Steven, what, when you talk to developers and people with disabilities, I, I feel like the goals, if you were to like zoom way out, are probably aligned. Like a game developer uh, and certainly game publishers want everybody to play their game and people with disabilities would like every game to be very accessible. So like what, considering that the goals are, are theoretically aligned, what do you think are like some of the, the stumbling blocks What's keeping us from like getting to that point uh, where, where, where we reach sort of parity there? What's, what's, what's keeping that from happening? I think it is happening slowly but surely. I think at this point it's an inevitability. Um, it's, there are people who are dragging their feet and, you know, some of it is because they don't want change. Some of it is because they are afraid of accessibility. They're afraid it's going to harm their game. It's they're, they're afraid that, you know, the audience is not going to be receptive to the idea of these features that are in the game specifically to support people with abilities different than their own. And, you know, part of how you do those, like any social change, is you just push if you're an advocate. And if you're an ally, then you accept willingly that people understand what it is they need, and you help them push that narrative. And so, when we're talking about games, right, we're just talking about good game design. Um, as, you know, as an anecdote, there's um, a really infamous time where uh, I was on a panel at PAX East, and Able Gamers had decided to do a Game of the Year kind of award. And we ended up awarding it to Star Wars The Old Republic, the MMO. And uh, when we got up there, you know, we did the panel. It was really cool. At the end of it, we brought up the, the lead developer and was like, here, here you go. Here's this amazing award. You know, thanks for including people with disabilities in your game design. And the guy pushed back and he was like, well... We actually didn't design for people with disabilities. We were just trying to make a fun game and accidentally I did some accessibility stuff. So I don't know that this is really the word that we should be getting. 
and this is in, in public, which uh, anybody who knows me knows I can be a little bit hot-tempered when it comes to stuff like that. So I was like, actually, uh, good game design is accessible design, and you design for people with disabilities by making things relevant to everybody. And so therefore you did design an accessible game, and I'm just glad that you're including people with disabilities. And of course, dude got like super red-faced and mad and walked off but you know it was it was one of those situations where you know uh, someone was trying to say oh well i i would never design for people with disability and it just happened accidentally i gotta say um i don't know who who that was but he's like a pretty wild mystery to the situation they were in <laughs> to try to push back. did they kind of mr magoo style wander into this room and then just like what a what Okay. No, I don't yeah, think so. Some, some PR person just threw him into the room here. Accept this real quick. And he's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Steve, I, this came up uh, last week as well, and I wanted to get your take on it. W- what is a victory? What does like an all-out victory look like? Uh, Chris Plant specifically mentioned um, including accessibility features in the certification process. Like a game cannot be published on an Xbox or a, a whatever a Switch without certain features do you i mean there probably already are if i had to guess certain accessibility features that are required but is it uh are, are you as able gamers like pushing for a more wide-reaching requirement so it's a complex question um so number one there is uh, a legal binding agreement now called the cvaa which essentially says if you have text in your game if you have the ability to multiplayer chat that it must be accessible it must be compliant by regulations uh so if we have voiceover communication or we have text chatting to other people then there must be certain basic level adaptations like closed captioning and like audio subtitling those are kind of things that must be into the game in order for it to be compliant with the law but that's just a very small segment of it, and that's mostly pushed by, you know, major players up in you know, where they may be for legislation. Um, Able Gamers, you know, did some call like consultation with that and kind of cautioned the government, you know, listen, um, these are a bunch of old white dudes making decisions about barely understanding the internet. Like, it's not... It's not something that we really recommend. This is something that game developers and players all know needs to happen and needs to be a thing so that people with disabilities can participate. And, you know, mm. it, it, it is taking its time. As I said, we've been doing this for, you know, a decade and a half now. Uh, and it's taken a while. It's not an overnight thing. But we're watching the industry slowly correct itself, and they're doing it willingly. And I don't think that that means there needs to be a law saying there has to be accessibility. I think, given a little bit more time, we will see most games have accessibility to at least some level. Um, Steve, I have two questions. The first is this. You're allowed one. Good how, much, how much does it chap your ass that, the, that no one can seem to agree where to put the subtitles choice in <laughs> menus? Why do I have to search for it every single time? <laughs> Why can we not agree if it's audio or visuals or gameplay or accessibility? I swear to God, every time it's a new mini game trying to find subtitles. That's very true. The weird part is you're you're making sort of a half joke here, but that's the truth of the matter is it's something that is fought about a lot, especially in game development, because they're like, oh, well, you need a special menu just for accessibility. And others are like, no, I don't want to be othered. I want to have it in the middle of everything so that people can find it very easily under visual. And there 
there is no uniform because every studio believes something different about where accessibility should be. And unfortunately, even some of the studios that do it still kind of believe that it should be a hidden thing where if you really, really want accessibility, you're willing to crawl through the menus to find it. My actual more serious, well, I guess that in, ended up being fairly uh, uh, pertinent question, but we, the thing that we yeah. were sort of dabbling in last week and, and trying to wrestle with was this idea of finding a balance between accessibility and difficulty and does challenge of a game, like where does that fit in the accessibility conversation? Because I think where we were kind of getting stuck is games for a lot, like, uh, in um, a theory of fun, it, it sort of established the idea of of fun in games is this process of like learning or trying to like uh, pass through a challenge, and that's where like the satisfaction of that is the fun. And if you remove that to a, if you lower that to a certain extent, you're you're it's no longer you know you're you're losing something in that. So how does the the balance between like accessibility and difficulty? What's that conversation like? Uh, it, let me uh, let me throw it back at you. So to you, to all three of you, what is fun to you? Well, yeah, other than getting pizza and a bunch of drinks and a barbecue, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I'll I'll jump in and say because you know I think a lot of this came up last week as well, and it's certainly the area that I've done the most research in since then. This idea. You know, Metroid Dread is a game that like we all praised. It's unquestionably going to be in the game of the year conversation. I had an enormous amount of satisfaction um, playing through Metroid Dread and conquering it, even though I realized that like a lot of the boss fights were really tough for me and stuff like that. Um, and so I got that level of like, you know, I was, or I was playing Outer Wilds last night and another game where I got a lot of satisfaction in getting to the end of it. Now, the counter example, which I'm sure uh, you'll mention, but I wanted to sort of throw in here is why can I not like certainly i can have that experience playing a game how i want to play it the counter example is why couldn't someone else have their own version of that experience which might not be the exact same experience that they have but still enjoy it despite you know some uh disability or something that they might be dealing with it's that sort of the the long and the short it's, of it? It's putting the cart before the horse. So the, the question still remains is, is if you, if, well, let's try a different angle here. If you, if the three of you had to sum up fun for you, what you define as what makes the game fun, what makes you have fun, mm. what would be the one sentence, five word answer? Um, pro progress. Like, I think that's the best way that I can sum it up. Just looking at the types of games I play, right? Like I play a bunch of uh, RPGs, JRPGs, MMOs, um, life sim stuff like stardew valley or, or animal crossing and i think that the same thing kind of applies to like i i love a from software game and i think for me it is less about the satisfaction of beating it the the satisfaction of like overcoming the difficulty of it and more about what like what i have learned or the knowledge that like my my skill in this one very specific thing on planet earth has has improved mm. so, somewhat i think um, steve said five <laughs> words christian so you failed yeah well i no did a really bad that. job well technically i said i said one word and then i ex expanded on the <laughs> too, too many words i'm gonna take a stab at it 
for me, fun is when the game <laughs> words already right there. When the game feels good to play. Okay. Mm, mm, okay. Very non-specific. I would say no, but I think that's relevant. I, th I think that'll come up. So go. the satisfaction of problem solving that it, okay. that to me is fun in as it relates to to games, be it puzzle, action, mm. uh, whatever adventure, like whatever the genre. I feel like the satisfaction of problem solving is what's like at the core of quote unquote fun game design, and 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 the good games have more sophisticated problems to solve. And I think with emergent gameplay, you see people sort of creating their own problems. I mean, that's what speed running is, right? Like no one is, has, has tasked you with no game has tasked you with like, do this in 30 seconds by finding all the glitches. But like, it's a, it's a created problem that is being solved in, in an innovative way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so for me, uh, it's two words, social connection for me. No matter what game it is, whether it's a multiplayer game and I'm playing with friends in real time or it's a single player game, I'm playing the game and then talking about said game with people who have also had that same uh, that, that same gameplay, right? It's For me, it's all about the shared experience. It's all about the connection of, of video games. That's what I love. And that's how I define fun, whether that's a video game or a movie or a book or whatever. So now you have four definitions of fun. And everyone who's listening had their own where they agreed with undoubtedly one of us or at least part of us and some part of another's. And that is why you can't break the accessibility conversation down to... Should this game have an easy mode? Should this be a thing where a director has complete control over it? Should this be something where we define it on rails? Because you can't define fun as a, an abject concept. It, it's it's one hundred percent defined by the individual, same as accessibility. So when we have the conversation about accessibility and whether or not something needs accessibility, we can break it down into various levels and able gamers does and we can talk about that later but for this particular question where you're asking how is it that you define should a game have accessibility and how much accessibility if you're talking about you know a metroid dread you're talking about a game that has very very little accessibility options and therefore you're locking people out of the experience altogether it's not a matter of can they have the same level of fun as you or can they even have fun in the game they can't even set foot in the game because the the door is completely closed mm. to begin with so you have a baseline where you need to have certain options so that the majority of people can play. And then from there, then you can have the debate of, is this fun? Is this a good video game? Is, does it have progress? Does it have connection? Does it have puzzle solving? That's, that's more preference. But we're talking about just being able to entry level get into the building before you even worry about if there's a staircase or an elevator. Yeah. Mm. So... So you mentioned about uh, the majority of players and, and the, sort of that baseline. And we talked a little bit about that um, in the legal document you mentioned earlier, the uh, CVAA. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. So obviously Metro Dread has subtitles. I think that's the only accessibility feature that jumps to my mind. Um, what would you want to see from a game like that that would count as like a baseline okay, this is at least trying. Well, I'd have to do a deep dive on the video game itself and, and pull apart mm -hmm. the game and the mechanics and whatnot in order to give that publisher recommendations on how they could add accessibility. And so, you know, in a game where the experience is supposed to be difficult, uh, that brings up the question, uh, same as Sekiro, which is, 
what is difficult to all of you? The same, if we were to go through the entire thing, I would guarantee the four of us have a different idea of what we consider difficult because it's based on our own brain power, our own physical ability. Just like everyone listening, what's ex- what is accessible and what is difficult to you will be different answers. But how do they correlate mm-hmm. together? Well, we're talking about the ability to complete something, right? So, and here goes back to the equality argument, right? So, if the three of us are are um, completely just kick Justin out of the sorry. Um, so the three of the three of us are standing on a baseball <laughs> fence, right? And we're trying to look over top. Then you know maybe one of us is shorter than the others, and maybe we need to stand on a box. Well, if all of us are standing on different level boxes, we can all see the game, and then everything's fine. It doesn't mean that one of us necessarily gets an advantage over the others. It's just something that evens the playing field, and that's what really good accessibility is about. Is If I'm in a game like that, and I can barely get through it, I can barely push the buttons, but I love the world, and Metroid is my favorite, and God, I love watching it for hours and hours and hours, and all I want to do is watch videos of people playing this, but I really can't do it well myself, because the monsters just murder me really easy, and I just can't do it. There's very little negative to putting in a mode where you would be able to get through that. Or if there's a puzzle, there's very little reason that you can't put in visual cues or audio cues to help you get through that is an option that can be turned on and off. So when we're talking about accessibility and and, and different difficulty levels and what you can put in a video game to make it easier, you have to look at what would make it where everybody can play it and no one has an advantage. So you mentioned that your preference is having that social connection through playing multiplayer games stuff like that, or, or even just like playing single-player games over Discord. Specifically on multiplayer, how do you sort of address, like, uh, you know, the game that jumps yep. to mind is Apex Legends, very fast-paced, PvP, competitive shooter. Obviously, you can do things like subtitles, certainly, colorblind settings, mm-hmm. stuff like that, but you wouldn't probably be able to do something like, oh, uh, an accessibility feature that might, like, increase auto-aim, for example. Right. Would probably not work. So how do you sort of approach PvP competitive games? PvP games are harder to balance because, number one, it is about you versus me. It's about my skill level versus yours, my knowledge of the game versus yours, my Twitch ability versus yours. And so it's harder to balance that for accessibility, but it's not impossible. So what you do is you tackle the underlying groundwork For example, if, you know, each of us are playing a game and we're all on the computer and, you know, uh, Griff needs his sensitivity at 40 and, you know, Justin needs it at 90 and Russ needs it at 10 and I need mine at 3,000, who cares? It doesn't matter what, Mm -hmm. how fast I can move the mouse versus you. Can we both hit the target on the, the, the spot on the screen for the target to be dead? Well, as long as we can do that, it comes down to who's better and who's faster at it, right? I've removed the barrier of who can move their arms faster. And instead, I've made it to where can you move it at all? And is that relative to your position in the world? That's an accessibility feature. So mm-hmm. it, it comes away from making the game easier or making it, uh, you know, uh, something where there's no challenge. And it just puts it down to can I even operate the game in the first place? And I think... One of the big problems of why you get into discussions like you did last week and why there's some controversy still amongst gamers is that they conflate the issues, right? 
So I just said in one instance, we need to add accessibility features and having the difficulty change shouldn't matter, right? But then I also said for a different kind of genre of game that we don't want to add those kind of features. We just want to add the base level. We want to be able to get in the door, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So people cross those arguments and then they are like, oh, well, Steve wants us to just go into a PvP game and everyone just auto-lock and push a button and die. And that's not what I said. What I said was that for a PvP game, you need to have the ability to even look at the person to be able to shoot them, let alone whether or not you can actually play the game. And for a different game, you need a different set of accessibility features. That's why we can't make checklists and instead... We're yeah. just you know, encouraging people to think about accessible design. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And, and I know that's something that you certainly encourage to start like sort of minute one uh, when it comes to game development. You really can't jump in in the last phase of it and say, oh, we have some money left over. Let's start adding accessibility features. Right, exactly. I mean, this you include from the get-go, you know, one of the arguments we get so much, and I'm going to bet is somewhere in questions and answers at the end of this is, well, what if someone can't afford to do it? And, you know, the, the truth is that it does cost money to develop accessibility features as it costs money to develop anything. But just the same as you put money into graphics and story, you have to put in the playability as well. And if you do that early in the development cycle, then it's not so costly. And it is affordable for every level, whether it's just one person in a studio or a mega juggernaut that has hundreds of developers. And so that's why we designed the accessible player experiences uh, over at accessible.games, which is a website you can go to right now. Developers can check it out and they can see exactly what it is when we're talking about designing with accessibility in mind. And it's sort of the part where people's eyes glaze over if you're not a developer. So bear with me if you're just a gamer. Uh, but it it's imagine uh, a deck of cards where you could grab a card out of the deck and you could be like, oh, okay, well, this is second channel. What does second channel mean? Well, second channel means if I'm giving you one piece of information, like uh, there's a reticle on the screen that you can shoot with. Well, how do I know that I've hit my target? Well, it lights up in red or it makes a noise or it comes up with an arrow over the person's head. Those are all examples of second channel where you're delivering the same information in multiple ways so that whether you have an accessibility challenge or it's something that you're just playing out missed, you might get that information from a different way. And so there are a whole bunch of those different patterns available. And it's what we teach at Open Gamers to developers, but it's also something that we're starting to see players adapt where, you know, well, we want remappability, right? Well, great. I also use the same controls you do. I just do them differently. That's another card in the deck. So same controls, but different. And that kind of language is what is slowly removing this this fog of war almost over accessibility where people don't really understand what it's all about and making it more more clear where people can understand, oh, okay, you're not asking to change the game. You're just asking that the font size on your game be able to be adjusted from 10 or negative 12 in the case of some <laughs> games all the way up to 50, you know? Yeah, that is wild that you mentioned the hit marker thing because that is a feature that I remember when it was added to COD. I think that was the first game that I remember marker. seeing it. And I instantly was like, oh, this is great because I, you know, maybe I won't see like the puff of blood when I get in a hit, if I, when I hit someone. This is like so much more satisfying. It feels great. Never in the 
15 years that I've been playing Call of Duty games, have I ever considered mm-hmm. that to be an accessibility feature? But of course it is. Like, that's a, a vision thing. That's a, uh, you know, an awareness mm-hmm. thing that definitely counts and has just been folded into the default at this point. So that's like kind of mind-blowing to me. It is, and it, it's, a, it's an example of what we just talked about with Second Channel. You hit the person. It makes a small little splash animation on your reticle where you see, oh, mm-hmm. that changed. I can see eight points on the star now instead of four. And it also goes, and it does like a small audio alert in it yeah. as well. And you can see the character do a little shoulder movement where it got hit. And so those are three different ways it's telling you the same thing. Hey, where you just clicked on the screen, that was where you were supposed to click. Yeah, amazing. Let's let's put the rubber to the road a little bit and and get to talking about uh, Far Cry Six, which has which has well, I can frame it this way: more accessibility options than Metroid Dread. <laughs> uh, so maybe maybe that's a good starting point. But we, yeah, we'll do that. But first, Griffin, I want to make some money. <laughs> that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, that's what. It, and it's Steven, I think that's something we can all agree on, right? <laughs> no, I hate money. <laughs> Damn yeah. it, Steven. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, right. Well, wait a minute. Hold on. It's my podcast now. No money, never. We never take money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the world's first bartering podcast. <laughs> Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want. Get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties. That's rocketmoney.com slash besties. Rocketmoney.com slash besties. You go get a phone. You just want a phone to talk to your friends and family. You're not asking so much. Then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech. You know, the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans, there is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or you want to have a nice, easy solution, save some, put the bucks back in your pocket, pay 15 bucks a month, say bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get 
your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash besties. That's mintmobile.com slash besties. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So Far Cry 6 is the next... Let me frame it. Far Cry 6 is the next Far Cry. They did five. They they've done a few of them at this point. Uh, a lot uh, more than six. That's more true, than, much more than six. Um, I would say maybe double it just to be safe, and then I'll, I'll do some research into the exact number. And this one is bigger, and you get a rocket jetpack. Let's be, let's start there, and then we can sort of flesh it out. You get a rocket jetpack, and it's bigger. Um, and if you like Far Cry, this is. This is Far Cry, baby. <laughs> wow, Griffin, I'm glad you took the lead there. You have a lot of really interesting. I had a lot of people say, say like, so, we missed you on Metroid Dread because you have a lot of sort of yeah. erudite thoughts about it. And so I'm trying to really These bring the, the insights. Heat. Yeah. So Far Cry uh, is an open world action franchise that sort of pits you against, usually, typically, you against a tyrannical, you know, overlord that sort of established a pattern for. Um, Ubisoft games that lasted for uh, till now from uh, affected so many of their franchises like Assassin's Creed. Uh, it's about developing an open world and sort of t- turning it to your control, basically. Um, and this is the sixth one. The fifth one was uh, more of a sort of dealt with like Americana and rural America and the idea of like religious cults and white supremacy. And, and it sort of dealt with those without actually – um, saying any <laughs> things specifically, it more was like alluding to it. But uh, Far Cry Six um, is more of a tra- like takes it back. I think more to the original formula. You are on a a more, I guess, tropical or it's an island once again. Maybe a couple islands actually. Um, it is a sort of stand-in for for Cuba, sort of a a Cuba anal- analogous. Uh, uh, country that is run by a again a a bad person that you are trying to overthrow with uh with some other rebels and yeah that's the base <laughs> that's the base pitch of far cry 6 and it's not bad it's yeah it's okay it's, it's, it's just okay. it's I've, I've reached a point i can't remember which assassin's creed game i hit the point with where i was just like i don't really want to do this any like i don't really want to play this this specific game anymore yeah um, you know what it reminds me of is sky uh skyward sword which is when skyward sword came out on the wii and it was like the epitome of the zelda game that they had been making for the last like 50 years and we were all kind of like done you know what i'm kind of done with this i don't need yeah. to see this anymore and breath of the wild followed that up and was like oh this is exactly what i needed a total like refresh and that's sort of where i'm at with far cry at this point where it's like you've run this pretty much into the ground <laughs> from like a design creative standpoint yeah that i'm kind of ready for them to move on it was syndicate assassin's creed syndicate the one where you played as uh, brother and sister i think or i was yeah. just like this is i i've already played this game a bunch of times and then to their credit the next game you saw put out was origins which was a pretty drastic departure and this is not that 
for Far Cry. Mm. Steve, I know you played a bunch. What What is your like first blush reaction? Uh, Far Cry's are always fun because you just get to be goofy and silly. And I have long said I, I don't think I would like Far Cry's alone. I wouldn't like it as a single player game, but as, as a duo game where you're just in there with one of your best buddies and just goofing off, I, I don't know that there's a lot better games in the industry that do it. Yeah, better than that. You know, there's there's not a lot of games where, you know, I was playing with my friend Guy the other night and we were uh, in like a little army base area there where he was up in the sky in the plane shooting down planes and I'm on the ground battling the bad guys with my cat and he knocks a plane out of the sky and it lands on my cat and I get to oh, scream, no. you killed my cat! And I just get to be <laughs> super hammy about it and he gets to be like, oh no! And it's just, you know, it, it's just f- silly fun and, and you get to sort of be goofballs about it and the, there are a lot of games in this industry that they take themselves very, very seriously. It's you know, mm-hmm. we we definitely have a a culture shift of of games that are very, you know, I, I don't love the terminology try hard because I think we all try at different levels. But there there are seriousness levels to video games that I feel uh, have gotten away from being goofy, and that's what I love about Far Cry. Is it just lets you go, you know, blow up an entire aircraft carrier with a flamethrower, which is great. Yeah, there there is a part of me that kind of wishes that they went more in the direction that the Saints Row series went, which is to say, like, more ridiculous scenarios and not... Because all the Far Cry games, even though I agree, like, you get, like, pets wearing hats and they eat people and that's, like, outrageous. But at a baseline, there is, like, a weirdly, like, very serious grounded nature to the, like, stories. And I kind of want them to just abandon that and just have, like, a fucking Far Cry (laughs) on the moon. Well, you've just just described Just Cause, right? Like, that's... That's true, yeah. It has a competitor already, which is Just Cause, which, in my opinion, all the stuff, and I agree with you, Stephen, like, all that stuff is fucking fun. But there's another series that does it, I I think, that, like, it leans into it more, and... Does it have multiplayer, though, Just Cause, co-op? That I, I don't think so. No. I don't think it does, oh, which, uh, like, Far Cry is really the only, I can't think of another open-world game like that that has, like, co-op to that extent throughout the entire thing. Yeah, I think that what I think this is a really interesting like um, it's sort of like a mirror version of the conversation we were having before the break. Almost like we planned it is, that way, Juice. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, in our in our in our expectations and how those expectations oh, sure. were met, That's right? True. The place where you made us earn money, that part. Yeah, yeah, right. Come now on. we're in the now we're free <laughs> of the shackles of commerce. Um, no, but we're we're I very much approach almost every game unless I am forced to do otherwise as a single player experience. And in that sense, there's a lot of areas in far cry six where the, it drags like there are way too many times when you are like just far enough from where you're trying to get to that. It doesn't make sense to like scare up a Jeep or a plane or even a horse. And you just end up like trudging through some some landscape for a few minutes, and and it happens way too frequently. Like you desperately need just like, and uh, well, I mean, just cause solved it with like a gla- gla- uh, parachute and grappling hook <laughs> combo that you can use pretty much whenever you want to. So there's there's too many drags like that. There's also like in the story missions, wait, like right before we came on here, I was in one where it's like a chase where there's all these people shooting at you and it's very cinematic. And I have like my um, gun that is specifically designed with a type of ammunition that blows up cars. 
And it's like six times I've done it now. And I just get like blown up or like the person, they got AI driving the car, right? So it's like crash into a ravine, stop randomly, whatever. And I get blown up. And like this idea that they still want to have these like, you know, quote unquote challenging sections where like, it's not fun. Like, don't make me do this again. Like this was fun and cinematic the first time through. Uh, but like to do it multiple times to try to get it just the way they want me to do it feels kind of counter to everything else the game is mm. doing. But like I could see where if you're playing with somebody else wouldn't necessarily have those sorts of lags, right? Like it wouldn't it wouldn't drag in in some of those same spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially for for me and I, and I know exactly what quest you're talking about because we also did it in our playthrough like nine times and it was very annoying. <laughs> it was very annoying, and, and you 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 blow up so easily too. Um, but yeah. yeah, which is weird. But I, I I agree. It is that that particular mission runs very counter to the blood of the game, which is do whatever the hell you want as long as you get the mission done. And that one's yeah. like, nope, you're gonna walk this path, and if you don't, yeah. you do it again. Can we pivot to sort of talking about the accessibility options nope. of the game? Because I think I I <laughs> nope nope okay uh, nope. Well, um, I then I like um. There's a great. There's a really Before good. Before that, I have something I did want to touch on because I didn't want to just to make it just like a retread. I did because people would be mad. There is, I would say the biggest new mechanical thing are these things called supremos which are <laughs> so that's what they're yeah, called and they're like ultimates that you mm-hmm. get for killing a bunch of people <laughs> and then you get to do an ultimate attack they're a wild one is like a, a huge rocket jetpack one is like uh shoots a salvo of rockets the one i'm using currently lets me see through walls and also came with a gun <laughs> that shoots through walls which makes fighting tanks a joy <laughs> an absolute delight i gotta say <laughs> Um, so that is like the big, there's also pet, like, uh, pets, which is not a new thing for the franchise, but like the Supremos are like the big, the, the, which is like a nod towards more arcadey sure. kind of gameplay with, but it like, it doesn't feel like a cohesive shift. Listen, uh, I have a cat that does more damage if I have money in the bank. I have a gold digging cat. I don't know how you get better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, to, to Griffin's point, I remember Ubisoft like really shouted from the rooftops about their focus yeah. on accessibility. This is not the first game they've had accessible, like hardcore accessibility features. I know uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla had a bunch, and I'm curious, what is your take on their efforts uh, this time around? Do you think they're on the right track, or do you think uh, they're just kind of doing it for the publicity? I, I definitely do not think they're doing it for the publicity, um, but. That said, you know, I give the the rating of accessibility in Far Cry maybe a, a six and a half or a seven. There's things they missed. Um, do you get? Do you guys actually use like a rating system to like determine? No, I use it uh, uh, when talking on in public spaces uh, because numbers are so arbitrary. Um, long ago, we tried to do a number system and it just doesn't work because my ten yeah. is not the same as your ten. So. Uh, speaking purely for me, that game is a six and a half and a seven, you know, but to, to two of you, it might be a 10 and to another, it might be an eight. Like there's, there's literally no, you know, there's no way to, to put it into a no mark. I kind of want to know what your 10 is though. What's, what's a 10? Um, what's um, your so 10? For me, a 10 would be a Fortnite. Um, as, okay. And, and it's weird because there's two weird pushbacks you get there. Number one, you Fortnite, uh, which, okay. No matter your view on Fortnite, 
It's still, sure. still accessible. Um, but PUBG and Fortnite are two of the best in the business for my bang for the buck because they have so many different options. Um, one of the things I don't like about Far Cry is the fact that I have to rebind every single thing. So I, I move forward in a game by right-clicking on the mouse. I don't WASD. <laughs> and so I have to rebind every single vehicle in the damn game to do the same thing whereas in PUBG they just go oh you're driving now cool this must mean you want the same control oh you're walking that probably means you want the same controls so you know you don't have to rebind every situation and that's more of just the annoyance of that takes you know 10 minutes of my life and then I never do it again but um you know in this case uh I feel like Ubisoft likes to follow checklists and that is just such a dangerous game to play where you're trying to be like hmm is it accessible well let's see we have one of these one of these mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. of those and that's that's not how you do it if you if you really want accessibility you, you follow a program like uh, the accessible player experiences from able gamers you take the course you learn how to design thinking about people with disabilities and then you have people with disabilities play your damn game and then you listen to their feedback and and what's going on and then you take multiple people's feedback because you every studio should have in-house representation for accessibility. There should be a person who has lived experiences with disabilities and education and accessibility in every studio so that they know what they're talking about. Uh, and some of them do. Ubisoft does. They've hired some friends of mine that, that work for there. But they have their own lived experiences and their own expertises. And for that reason, you need to run it through multiple people. So, you know, no advocate out there is going to be like, I know everything about everything. And because they don't. So, you know, you, you need sure. multiple perspectives, just like on fun. Everybody views accessibility a little bit different. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it, it, it's funny you mentioned the checklist thing, because it does seem like that's a Ubisoft thing, not just for accessibility, but also from a design mentality, because it's like, oh, we need towers or we need like, you know, they follow these beats because it makes for a very reliable mm-hmm. development cycle. And it kind of ends up feeling very cookie cutter from game mm-hmm. to game. Absolutely does. You know, sometimes people ask me, you know, uh, why, why do we why do we worry about accessibility in, in games like that? What what the hell do you mean, Steve, when you say social connection? So my my goal here is to make Griffin cry. So that's what I'm gonna try to do. So uh, you're close. close. I'm, I'm All right. Really well, I'm, I'm gonna try to push you over. So um, one of my favorite examples to to give people when we're talking about accessibility is sometimes, like I said, people's eyes glaze over. They stop listening. So you, you got to bring it back to something people can relate to, right? So. Uh, I know you guys have a very tiny family, uh, so I, I don't know if you'll be able to relate to this, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. So, um, yeah, there was an expo uh, in Chicago, uh, very much like a PAX East, where it's all about disability and cool things you can do if you're disabled with technology, like shower curtains that you can clap at and they close, or a robot that helps you eat food, which uh, me and my friend Craig turned around and used it to give the developer a middle finger, which he was not happy with. Um <laughs> It was a $42,000 robot. He was not happy. We even figured out how to do it. Uh, so um, we were there and we were playing, uh, you know, our, our games over at the Able Gamers booth area, trying to get people to realize that they could, in fact, do video games if they wanted to. And there was a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister there with another brother who was in a wheelchair, maybe seven to eight years old, reclined backwards, 45 degrees. Tray table on the wheelchair, heart monitor, oxygen tank, head turned to the side, drooling a little bit. Really a profoundly disabled child. And uh, they had been staring at our booth for a while. We had Forza on display. 
and uh, they were obviously wanting to come over and check it out, but they just wouldn't. So it took some charisma, and fortunately mine is like a plus 10, and I walked over and like, hey, let's give it a shot, and you know, yeah, why, why don't you come over? No, 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 we can't, we can't. Yeah, you can. Come on. Come on. Let's try it out. So we, we get them over there, and it's me and the founder of Able Gamers, Mark Barley, and we're, we're there in Chicago, uh, just sort of... Uh, Checking out what it is that this kid can do. You know, what kind of abilities does he have? And and he really doesn't have much. He's not ambulatory, cannot seem to move any muscles, and the family's kind of expressing this and, and whatnot. And they're like, well, there's no way that he could possibly play. And, you know, and we're like, well, hold on. And while we're talking, we notice that his foot is moving. So we're like, aha. So we confer, and we're like, all right, cool. And we've got this device there, sort of like the Xbox Adaptive Controller. It's called Ours was called the Adroit Switchblade. And basically, you just plug switches like the Staples Easy button into it, and it pushes a button just like it would on your controller. Well, we noticed his foot, and we asked permission to remove his footrest, and the parents were like, okay, and we removed the footrest. Mark holds up this gas pedal-like device, just like in a car, holds it up to his foot. The car comes roaring to life, speeds across the speedway, slams into the wall, and the kid just starts bubbling and giggling, lights up like a Christmas tree. And it's absolutely the best thing I had seen in my entire life, which which would be a fantastic story if it ended there. But the next day, the dad comes up to me, walks up behind and goes, you know, Steve squeezes me on the shoulder. And now this dude's six foot tall, makes the rock look like a small dude. I'm only five and a half foot off the ground in my wheelchair. And so I'm looking up, hey, is it okay? And I see he's got tears in his eyes. Mr. So-and-so, are you okay? He goes, Steve, I just had to come back and I had to talk to you. I had to tell you thank you. And I'm like, oh, it's no problem. This is what we do. You know, it's our work. No big deal. I'm just glad that, you you know, your son can play. And he's like, no, you don't understand. He squeezes my arm harder and goes, you gave something back to my son. I'm like, well, it's no problem. He's like, my son is nonverbal. He can't communicate with us. But every Saturday morning, we watch cartoons together, and I lay on the couch, and he has his, his head in my lap, and we sit there, and we cuddle, and we watch television and cartoons, and it's great. But every time a video game commercial comes on, he wiggles and bubbles, and I know he wants to play, but he can't. And you guys gave that back to him. And I'm just, at this point, falling out of my wheelchair, going, it's okay, I'm happy to help. And, you know, it was on that moment that I realized that what we do is not about video games. What we do here is not about video games. It's about connecting to one another. Hmm. No, that's that's fantastic. It must have felt so amazing. It was it was phenomenal, and it's the reason why we have yeah. done this for so many years. Because those kind of stories—that's just a dime a dozen. There's a million different stories I could tell, all having the same outcome, slightly different variations of a disability presenting a barrier. And us needing to show someone a small bit of technology that can help you overcome that barrier. Wow. Um, I wanted to make sure we had a little bit of time for uh, reader mail. We had uh, a few questions, so I'm going to sure. start jumping yeah. into those if you're Let's cool go. with that. Wait, hold on. Wait one second. I got to ask. I got to jump in. And I got to ask, Griffin, did you cry? His tears go back in. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like an in, not an out. You can't cut it. Yeah. I do this thing sometimes where my tears go in. Uh, Precisely. Yeah, so he's been seeing a doctor for it, and they, they, go back are, they, they have made no progress. <laughs> it's gotten worse. Every time I tell the doctor, they're like, cool. And I'm like, okay. Uh, okay, uh, first question comes from Gross Meat. Um, do you think loot boxes and similar gambling-adjacent mechanics are an accessibility issue? 
Um, I would say that game gambling is an addiction. Addiction is a disease. And devs exploit this to build monetization platforms where they get more money from the game. It's certainly an argument that can be made that it is something that people with disabilities can fall to uh, because they have to. So we all agree that loot boxes, even if they are fun, even if you do like gambling, they are something specifically designed to get money out of us, right? So... Sometimes if they're cosmetic, it's okay. If it's your bag, if you want to get new skins, cool, good for you. Um, but the part where it becomes dangerous, and I don't call it an accessibility feature, but it is a thing where I have personally spent money on a game where if I get this particular item in this loot box, it'll make things easier for me in a game that is borderline not playable because it's so difficult. So I have spent money on a game in order to make it easier for myself. And that is the mechanic where they that's what they want. They want the game to be hard. So if you spend this $20, it'll be a little less hard and you won't be so miserable. And, you know, that is certainly a design practice and philosophy by the publisher. It's not one that I particularly love. On the flip side, I do like doing loot boxes. I think they're fun to open. But, you know, that's uh, that's the weird crux of it is, you know, it's supposed to be a fun thing. Or we're supposed to be talking about how it's a bad thing because it's addiction but for someone with a disability it could be that they're just trying to spend that money because they really want to play the game and they need that item that is in the loot box and therefore now you're kind of putting a disability tax on the game yeah that's interesting um i had another question this comes from joshua amy i'm curious about the steps devs can take or or are taking uh to better support neurodivergent players those with autism adhd working memory deficits, etc. And that's part of what our accessible design patterns are on the accessible.games website and the course that you can take to become an accessible player practitioner where we actually teach developers to design professionally with accessibility in mind. There's things like Total Recall where perhaps players need to review the completed objectives or maybe they need to review the controls for the game and the game will automatically remind you. Um, there's a, a cool new game called The Inscription uh, that just came out from Devolver, which I'm really digging. It's like a super card game that's like creepy and eerie and you're kidnapped and you keep getting murdered by a weird guy, but you do a roguelike card game to try to defeat him. I'm not sure how beating a killer in cards kills him in real life, but whatever. We're going to ignore that part. It's fun. That sounds dope, to be honest. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's essentially Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, it sounds um, like it sounds like the Yu-Gi-Oh cartoon. So, but it's really fun. Um, but it it has this neat little thing where if you are say sitting down at the table to play cards and you don't do anything for fifteen seconds, it will pop up on the right hand side with a W and an S, and it'll highlight the S. It's telling you to push the S button to pull back away from the table so you can see your cards. And that kind of just really light reminder, that light guidance from a game is what really helps people who are neurodiverse. If if maybe, you know, you take a lot of medication or you have challenges where you remembering things might be hard, those little gentle reminders are so great and something that we teach in video games so that the game can help you play in a very light way. Yeah, no, I, I definitely consistently forget uh, stuff like inputs uh, while I'm playing, so it's always... Super helpful. Yeah, I mean, you talk about like um, a Far Cry, like Far Cry has where you literally need a third alien arm in order to push all the buttons you need to play in the, <laughs> in the game. Those are so many keybinds. And I mean, I know, I don't know if it happened to y'all, but it happened to me where, you know, we didn't play for a week and came back to the game. We're like, what are the darn buttons for this game again? Yeah. 
Uh, one more question. This one comes from Robin, but spooky. I think that's probably a Halloween uh, <laughs> Twitch uh, Twitter name. Good guess, Russ. Yeah, that's a, probably a good, a good thank you, guess, thank you, Russ. A lot of insight. Okay, the question. I wonder how do phobias? Ooh, very appropriate for Halloween. How do phobias factor into accessibility in gaming? Uh, I personally am terrified of all bugs to the point of it being a physical phobia. While I recognize this might not be the same level of accessibility features. I can sometimes get anxiety attacks from a bug appearing on the screen, even something like butterflies. While I wouldn't expect games like Hollow Knight or Animal Crossing to work around my phobia, do you think that there's something that game developers can do to help? So game developers are already doing things to help. Uh, there's there's really fun ones like in Satisfactory where um, you build factories, but you also run out and explore and murder and, and get resources just like every other game. Uh, but they have a cool mode called arachnophobia, where if you're like me and you're afraid of spiders, and I really do have arachnophobia, um, where I don't want to look at spiders, um, you can change them to pictures of cats. It, it, it's, it's great. Um, and it, it, I think it's really kind of cool. And, and so these modes, I think, are great um, as a way to, to go around those kind of phobias and, and fears. I mean... PTSD is no different where, you know, you you have a warning at the beginning of your game. If it's extremely bloody, you could turn the blood off so that you, you don't have to see it. And because maybe it'll trigger a, a really difficult part of your brain, uh, which will give you a hard time or a bad day just because you happen to see one scene of violence. Maybe you didn't want to see that. And so you can turn it off and you can enjoy the rest of the game. Same thing for phobias, all those kind of things. I think they're absolutely great. And I don't think that they detract from the video game at all it's it's again allowing an option to exist in the game for someone who needs the option but leaving it turned off by default for those who don't yeah one thing i was really so an example that i was really surprised by lately is um final fantasy 14 for their next expansion they are adding two classes and each class has like a little icon so you can like tell which class everybody is when you're in a party with them uh and for one of the new classes called sage they had they had gotten feedback from people that it was like setting off their trypophobia, which is fear of holes in stuff. And so Square Enix, like very shortly after, changed the icon for it, which I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of uh, who is good at this and who is not. But I was surprised to see Square Enix so quickly take that feedback for Final Fantasy fourteen, like their biggest game right now. Um, when that is not necessarily something uh, I would expect. I love it. I, I love when they when they take things into uh, consideration. Yeah, and it's, it's it's unfortunate, but we we have a generation of people who very much believe in f your feelings, and and that's not the way we should be. Is you know, if if there's a segment of your population that's saying, "Hey, this icon is bothering me." Can you just change it slightly? And you can do that with relatively no cost, relatively no effort. Why wouldn't you do that? Mm -hmm. Totally. Hey, Steven, something just occurred to me that I wanted to ask you real quick before we wrap up. I do like pizza, yes. Oh, good. You. Okay, that, that answers it. Hey, when a yeah. cinematic begins and there's a huge button prompt that tells you how to skip it, is that an accessibility feature or is that, as I've always suspected, a tacit admission that they didn't work very hard on the cinematic and that you should probably skip it? <laughs> you should probably skip it, yeah. Okay, good. That's I thought that, <laughs> but I wanted to double check. 
<laughs> I, I, I love that. Not even, I, I love it when you press a button, they're like, oh, you're trying to skip it. Okay, here's the button you press to skip it. Not that. They're like, from the jump, this, hey, listen, we don't want you to waste a second on this thing, because we most certainly didn't. I love just it when they do when they're like, push escape to skip, or just push any button to skip, and you're like, you're Eddie, just get any out button, of it. Press and then you have the other company who's like, all right, if you push three, seven, up arrow, and alt at the same time, we'll skip. Like, wait, do I have to solve it? Davinci puzzle to get out of this way. Hey, who's who's been playing other? Do we have time to talk about other games? We are running a little long. Maybe we could do like a light speed version of what you, what else are you playing? I brought this up. I have not been playing any 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 games. We are on the th- I believe the third in as many months shutdown of a school due to uh, a a COVID uh, exposure. So it's been it's been Kid City over here nonstop twenty four seven. I finished the DLC for Outer Wilds, which is very weird to me because I was not able to play the original Outer Wilds because of motion sickness. We're talking about accessibility. I was just not able to play it. It always made me sick. Um, This one, I tried a bunch of different things. What worked for me was playing in a very, very bright room uh, on like a smaller laptop screen actually sort of helped me get over it. Um, I'm not going to go super in depth because it is a very complicated thing, but it is incredible and definitely one of the best gaming experience I've had this year. So if I lost patience with the original, would I lose patience with this? Probably. I think it's more condensed, so that would maybe help. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're not a patient person. So I don't understand how you play it, to be honest with you. I, I, this is the one of the things I take the most slack for. I, I know people love the other worlds, but I tried it three times. I never got past hour two. I'm just like, yeah, this is a game. It's, you know what it is? There's a, I, I think it shows its hand way too late. Like it takes too long for you to get that like, oh, wow, this is an amazing moment. Um, so I think that's why a lot of, I mean, I bounced off too, not just because of the motion sickness, but also like, I'm not getting why people are into it, but once it clicks and you feel like a kind of a genius for figuring something out, it definitely like propelled me through the rest of the thing. Yeah. But it takes a while. Sometimes games do. I think the one thing that the games do a little differently, which is always weird to me is in like a movie. They'll take an hour to get to the point of the movie because they're like, well, you're in here now, sucker. Enjoy your popcorn. <laughs> and put in a video game. If I'm not entertained after 15 minutes, I'm just going to turn it off and go play one of the other 75 billion games that released that week. Yeah, I feel the same way. Usually, I, I don't know. what it, I think the only reason I suck with this one is just because of the praise. And I was like, well, I got to do this. I did the same right. thing with Nier Automata uh, with slightly different results. But I, there is a part of me that just like wants to know the you know, canon of like, oh, these are the games you need to play. But sometimes it's just too much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Uh, It's called The Besties. Um, We will be back with you next week uh, to to talk about other games. This week we discussed, well, gosh, it's not a long list this week, Far Cry 6, Metroid Dread a little bit, Um, Outer Wilds, what's that one called? Uh, Echoes of the Eye is the DLC. And inscription. Inscription. Thank you. Satisfactory. Satisfactory. Right. Yes. I think that's probably it. We sh- uh, Plant's not here. This is usually his job. And usually his job. None of us paid attention until this moment <laughs> in the outline. We're like, oh crap. Yeah. Okay. I think we got it. Nailed it. That's probably enough. We got it. <laughs>
We got it. Steve, Steve, where can people find you if they want more of your great insights and pizza influence? You can find me just about anywhere online. Steven Spawn, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-P-O-H-N. And on Twitch, the phonetic version of it, S-P-A-W-N, is probably where you've heard me run around the internet raising awareness people with disabilities um, last September. We raised a million dollars for charity, and uh, that was one. And that's not even counting the Twitch donation. No, right? yeah, it's all total. It was we brought in about two point three, and that was just like that is specifically from Spawn Together and all those amazing humans out there who raised a hundred dollars at a time. And the power of teamwork is is really understated in our world. And I mentioned that very specifically because uh, there are some great people in our industry. And you know, as I'll probably never be invited back because I talk too much about pizza. Uh, it's it's a it's a good shout out to everyone out there that um, you can you can make a difference and I'm using my time to plug myself to remind you all that you know you can make a difference in any charity cause that you believe in whether it's people with disabilities or anything out there uh, just by being an advocate on your Twitters and your Instagrams and remember that people like me are out there fighting for these causes but. We don't have our power unless you are also out there doing the same. And if you want to follow Able Gamers and support the cause of disability, you can follow Able Gamers on just about every social media platform that has ever been invented or will be invented. We have a time travel machine. Steven, I would I would say that if you believe that talking about pizza would preclude you from coming back onto the besties, uh, <laughs> so it is it is pretty tame subject matter compared to, I mean, it could have been worse. You could have talked about books, you know? That's true. Oh, wait, I do own this podcast now, right. so I can invite myself. Mm, Whatever sure. you want to do. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. That's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, next week, we're, we'll be back for blood with uh, our discussion of back for blood. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That is going to do it for us, though. Uh, so until next time, be sure to join us again for the besties, because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Is that still an okay sign-off, or should do you, want, do you have something different you want me to do, or... Boss. Uh, woo! There you go. We're, we're just going to do woo from now on. <laughs> to put a Ric Flair woo at the end of every episode. You're the boss. Woo! Besties!